Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Let's move on to some author stuff. All righty. Uh, which I have author questions, but let's go back to earlier what what you were talking about. Uh, which what was that? Now I forget. It was pantsing. That was pantsing one hundred and one. Yes. You take a seat. I like I say I didn't ever anticipate I would be a full time author, so I hadn't gone the traditional route in terms of learning the craft. Um, I have since taken tons of courses on, on writing, but. At the time, I thought, I'll never have an idea big enough for a book. So it just didn't occur to me to do that. So starting with one scene, in hindsight, was absolutely the way to go. And I would actually, that's what I recommend to people who are in that stage where they want to write, but they don't know if they can do it, or they don't know if they've got a good enough idea. Because I could not believe how the ideas came to me after I had that one little nugget in place. And that nugget didn't even end up in the final book bits and pieces of it did, but not that final nugget. So that's definitely a good way to start writing. And it's a pantster way. And I did pants that first book entirely. I pants part of the second book. I pants less of the third book. The more I got into the series, the more I needed to depend on an outline. And now I outline, I wouldn't say extensively, but I do know where the story starts. I know where it ends. And I know most of the major scenes in between. Most okay. of the major ones. I, there's still room to go off and explore a little bit, but, but much more structured now. Okay. Several things with all of that. First of all, I totally agree. I love the fact that you just sat down and started writing. And you didn't, weren't worried about a book and even a story. It was just a scene. And I think that type of thinking takes off all the pressure. And I, a lot of times myself, a lot of the author friends I have, it's that internal pressure of, oh my God, I got to get a story. I got to make it good. I got to do the right sentences. Take all that away and just write something. It, it just keeps going. I think that's sometimes our own biggest hurdle is that. That's, there you go. How to start. Just write a scene. Do that. Yeah, most of us um, have seen in us. <laughs> yes, yes. And now you that you also said that now you're doing a lot more outlining. And this current book, you said, has won several awards. Do you think your writing has improved because you're outlining or that you improved because you started outlining? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. I don't think the outlining has anything to do with the awards. I think that people have different ways of organizing their thoughts in writing. Whereas my strength might be the way I do it now. It took me a while to get to the point where I am at now, where I do it. So I think that in the end, it's just good writing. It's good storytelling and it's good writing in the end. So I don't really think 
it's the outlining. For me, it's how I function best to tell a story now. It wasn't during the first book, but I think that all authors are individuals and they will find their own path. Okay. All right. So with your writing, what services, what software, that type of thing do you use? I use Word. Okay. It's the only thing I've ever used. I do have Scrivener. It's a very old version, but I couldn't figure it out and I was too anxious to write. So I didn't want to spend the time figuring out the software when I knew Word. So I just stuck with Word and I actually format myself as well. And I use Word to format the books. So Word is my go-to for sure. I use other services for the publishing part of it. Okay. And you're on your second series, your seventh book. What are some things you've learned that you're doing different besides the pantsing versus outlining? Is there anything else that you're, you've learned that you're, you've changed since you started? Yes. <laughs> changed so much. I want to mention first, before we go any further, the one thing I haven't changed and I would so highly recommend it is if you can afford to have an editor, get an editor. I have learned more from my editors and even my proofreader than I have learned from all my grammar and writing combined. So that's my first thing. And I try different editors too, so that I can learn more. (laughs) The other thing that I've learned is how important reviews are. When you're launching a book, I encourage people to try to get as many reviews as they possibly can right out the gate. It is important. It does give your book higher visibility. And I use review services. I use two of them. I use one that's called Book Sprout, and I use another one called Hidden Gems. Those are the two I use right now. So definitely do that. And the other thing that I do is I use a company called Book Funnel. And Book Funnel allows me to send my book to ARC readers, the advanced reader copy readers, and not worry about whether they can load it up on their particular platform that they're using. And it's also how I gift books to people. And it is also how I distribute the books that the short stories I give away on my newsletter. Sign up. Yeah, Book Funnel's pretty easy and can do quite a few things for what you know it is i like book funnel myself used it in a couple different ways they have audio now that they offer that's right yeah and they're reasonably priced pardon me they're reasonably priced too yes yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. Uh, so this kind of leads right into our main topic today and that's a problem i think a lot of authors have and that's we can't necessarily do it all and we shouldn't do it all we should Hire out. You mentioned an editor. I know somebody that wrote a book, spent four and a half years researching and writing this long book, and said, I'm not going to give it to an editor because I don't think the editor would get what I'm doing and they would just want to change too many things. And the book wasn't really super. So you said an editor. Did you always plan to have an editor or did that, was that something that you like realized afterwards when you started using one? I was very lucky. My husband's brother, my brother-in-law 
is retired now, but he was an editor at a newspaper. And I gave him the book first. It took every ounce of courage I had to give it to him. And he came back and he said, you need an editor. And I hadn't even occurred to me. And so that started me on the path of using an editor. So I had an editor from the very get-go, but it, it wasn't like I thought of it myself. It was him mentioning it to me. So thank goodness he did, because every single book, I mean, when I first get the editor's comments back, I usually curse and I go, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And I throw it in a drawer. And then a couple of days later, I pull it out and it's, oh, yeah, okay. I knew that. I knew that I needed fixed. And oh, wow, that's a really good idea. Oh, geez, I wish I'd thought of that. And then you end up with a book that is so much better. I absolutely agree. And I agree. I've learned a lot from a couple different editors. My first book, I had no plan, no real thought. Didn't really even have an, a whole story. It put some things in there as I went along. And then when it came back from the editor, it was like 20 pages of notes. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, they're ripping me apart. It was either this editor's stupid. And then it was like, maybe I just really suck. Uh, but I calmed down and I put it aside. And when I put it back out and read it with a more critical eye, I'm like, yeah, everything that the editor pointed out were those areas that I was unsure of or that I really wasn't comfortable with, but oh, I'm going to do this. And yeah, I agree. And I ended up like ripping half the book out. It literally cut it in half with what was left. Yeah. So I've learned a lot from editors. I don't always agree and I don't make every single change that they want occasionally, but I think over time my writing has grown and I can make that choice a little better, and I don't just off the cuff, oh, I'm not going to do that. It, it, you know, sometimes there really is a good reason to make the yeah, change. I agree. And I think that the more you write and the more you go through that process, the more you, the quicker you can make those decisions. Like now when I get the edit back, I know which ones resonate, which ones I'm going to go with. And the ones that I know I'm not going to go with, it's instant. I just say, mm, that's not the character. That wasn't like, that's not right. But all the rest of it, I take everything. Yeah. It, the thing that I did learn, which I didn't know when I first started, and I, I do now, I can't remember at what point I, I finally twigged to it, but I was using a substantive editor. So I was getting big ideas back, the overall arching ideas, like this character isn't doing enough or the scene isn't doing enough, or you can probably cut this chapter, start the story here rather than where you started it. So that stuff I was getting, but what I wasn't getting was the copy edit. I did the proofread and the substantive edit, but the copy edit in between I wasn't doing. And granted, it's extra money. I didn't have extra money to spend on it anyway, but now I do. And I am more aware as I'm writing of the things the copy editor points out, like when I've repeated the same word in a paragraph or within two or three paragraphs. My strengths, my weaknesses in writing and sentence structure. So that strengthened me as well is copy editing. I think that's another important thing. It's an extra step. If you can afford to do it, I would recommend you do it. Okay, there you go. And what are some other things that you could do on your own, but you feel it's easier and better to use somebody else? What are like your cover? Did you do those yourself? No, that was one thing I learned. When I was starting off, there weren't a lot of 
prefab covers at that point, or I wasn't aware of them if there were. And the cover designers wanted a lot of money. So it was either you did it yourself or you paid a lot of money for a custom cover. And so I hired a graphic designer to do the series originally. I think I had four books in the series with a different cover and realized that the cover wasn't doing me any favors. It was beautiful, but it wasn't a book cover. The book cover designers know what they're doing. They know what the font should look like. They know the treatment on the front. And they know how to get the attention of people who read your genre. So that was one thing I learned. And I now have a cover designer that I work really well with. And we do, we've done all the covers, uh, including Bloodmark. And the other thing that I can't stress enough that I have benefited from enormously is finally getting myself a publicist. And that's because in order to get word of your book out, you have to spend time finding the best places to either talk to other, like a podcaster like yourself, for example, or other vlogs or other authors that you can do newsletter swap with and share and getting press coverage in the newspapers, local newspapers and such. And I was bad at it. I hated doing it. And I wasn't confident in my ability to present my ideas or or even the synopsises of the books. And so I hired Mickey of Creative Edge Publicity, and he has taken me from not being able to speak very well at all about my book to being quite confident and enjoying talking about them and enjoying talking about the writing craft. And he has found lots of opportunities and I've put them all on my website and you can flip through them and it's just rolling down pages now of all of the opportunities that he has found for me that I've been able to take advantage of so if you don't like doing that part of the job definitely get yourself a publicist yeah yeah absolutely totally agree so you got a publicist you have a cover designer you have an editor is there any other service that a lot of authors may do themselves that you would recommend they don't? The review service is the one that is, you can ask all of your friends and relatives and all of their friends and relatives to to write reviews for you. Um, A, you're not supposed to be putting reviews on there that are written by anybody that is not at arm's length from you. You won't know enough people. You won't know enough people. So if you can get on Booksprout or Hidden Gems and set up a time slot where you will provide your free review copies to get reviews on all of the retailer, BookBub, Goodreads, Amazon, Kobo, Nook, as many reviews out there as possible. So that's another resource that I use. What else can I say for resources that I have farmed out? Do you think that your sales are helped by using all these different services and professionals or maybe not obviously you wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't helping but did you actually as you added these did you see the sales go up did you see interest go up i've seen the sales go up since my collaboration with mickey for sure the sales have gone up with the exposure there's no question about that but the other thing that has happened is When I was first starting out, of course, you're trying to do it all yourself, and it is exhausting 
and overwhelming to the point where sometimes I used to sit back and say, I just, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. Keeping up Twitter, keeping up Facebook, keeping up the social part of it. And then the writing part, like the writing seemed to fall off. And that's the most important part. And I ended up having 20 minutes in the morning where I could write because the rest of the day was completely absorbed in everything else. So having a few things like this in place gives me more time to write and it takes the load off. And I say Mickey in particular, because that was my biggest load at that point in my trajectory in my career was trying to get that exposure. And it was just so frustrating because I didn't want to do it. And when I did it, I felt at different points if you find yourself overwhelmed I would suggest you take a look at what you're doing and see if you can farm any of it out any of it like right now I would like to farm out the social part of it or at least one or two of the platforms because I want to stay on the platforms but doing it once a day is becoming problematic I guess I'm ready to maybe take a look myself and see what else is it that I can farm out and do and the more books you can sell, the more you can afford to farm out this stuff. And it's like that vicious circle. I was just going to say that. It's kind of a, you're caught in that vicious circle. You start farming things out to write more, and then you have more books. You have to farm more things out. And then you, so you get caught. But that's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I also want to say, just in, I just don't want there to be any misconceptions. There's no getting rich in this game. <laughs> I don't really think. Unless you're Victoria Aviard or Anne Charles, there's no huge financial payoff. It's just an awful lot of hard work, and you really got to love writing to to be in this game. So do you have any services that you have used? Maybe not by name, but anything you've done or used that, that didn't work out that you changed or got rid of? I don't do Facebook ads anymore. I tried very hard <laughs> and I, I just couldn't get them to work. So Facebook is not something that I'm on and I enjoy the conversations I have with people on there, but I don't do advertising on there anymore. So that's one that didn't pan out. Other words. No, the more. Yeah, I couldn't say that there was one that I, I am not using anymore that I started to use. Okay. All right. And before we sign off on our author section, and you've got a chapter you want to read, um, do you have any last-minute advice for new authors? Yeah. Other than that one scene, start with one scene, the one thing that I would say is that a lot of times you, you get in your head that you're in competition with other authors, and I just can't say enough how that is not true. You aren't in competition. The people who are authors are the people that are going to lend you a hand and pull you up. And you're in tune are going to turn around and pull someone up else behind you. So when you have the opportunity to share other authors' work or recommend their works, you should take that opportunity. Again, that's not a competition. People read more than one book and they read more than one genre. So I, as much and as often as I can, I recommend books that I've enjoyed. I will give those authors a hand up and then pay it forward. Nice. Great. All right. JP, I appreciate talking about your book, talking about the author stuff. So everybody listen up for part three, because we're going to have a little chapter read. Okay. I'll get right into it then. So this is Blood Mark. It's the story of Jane Walker and the marks that have formed her life. And this is August 8th. This is the first chapter. 
Jane Walker might have been the only person in Vancouver not afraid to be in a downtown alley at half past midnight. Shadows clung to fissures and corners, morphing into nightmare shapes as she passed. A warm breeze stirred the scent of rotting garbage, along with her gag reflex. Rescuing Sadie was getting old. One of these nights, Sadie's unique way of punishing herself would be the death of them both, and maybe Jane's bike. Jane parked next to Ethan's fat boy in the hopes his reputation would spill over and protect her cherished Honda 500. But the caged bulb above the back door worried her. It bled a weak circle of light that pooled near the bikes. It was a toss-up whether it would draw attention or act as a deterrent. She said a prayer for the latter and removed her helmet. A slamming door punctuated a heated argument drifting down from a nearby apartment. She raked her long hair forward to hide the worst of the birthmark on her face, then walked around the corner, bypassing the dregs of Riptide's nightly queue. A bouncer she knew manned the door. His steady gaze slid sideways at her approach. Booze from the lineup he held at bay prompted him to inhale, emphasizing the girth of his chest. He flexed biceps larger than her thighs, tipped his chin, and let her pass. She nodded her thanks and stepped inside. A cocktail of perfume and stale sweat assaulted her. Thumping music reverberated in her chest as she scanned the bar for Ethan Bryce and found him pouring shots. A seasoned bartender, he worked the room like a ringside bookie at an illegal fight, smiling with one eye and watching for trouble with the other. Thanks for calling, Jane said, pressing into the bar. Where is she? Ethan held her gaze a moment longer than necessary, then swiped his head to the left. Jane followed his line of sight to the dance floor, where her roommate swayed out of step with the music. Sadie had gone with Tasteful tonight, wearing her LBD, as she called her little black dress. Her client must have been a high roller. Unlike the roided-up jockstrap now keeping Sadie upright with a hand on her ass and a sure-bet smile on his face, Jane strode through the dancers and stopped short of her. Sadie? She shouted over the music. Sadie lifted her head from Jockstrap's shoulder and struggled to focus. Narc? She blew at a stray blonde curl. Jane winced at the nickname Sadie rarely used in public. Her? Jockstrap asked. Sure. Tim, meet Narc. Dance with us. Sadie reached for Jane. Her mascara had smudged, leaving charcoal shadows under her eyes. It's what two lines of coke and a few too many vodka chasers looked like. Jane shook her hand, took her hand. Let's go home. She's with me tonight, honey, Jockstrap said, tugging Sadie's arm away from Jane. She looked down to Sadie with a smarmy smile. He looked down to Sadie with a smarmy smile. Aren't you, baby? Sadie squinted up at him. When she looked back at Jane, sparks of awareness surfaced. She pushed against his chest. I gotta go. Gotta go, he said, dragging her back. Stay with me, baby. We're having fun, aren't we? How about I bring her back tomorrow, Jane said, when she's not wasted. Sadie stumbled as Jockstrap twisted to put himself between the two women. I've made an investment here. Charming, Jane thought, recoiling from his stale bill beer spittle. She was quick in a fight and had the advantage of being sober, but Jockstrap had a hundred pounds on her and a hard-on with a destination. She knew Ethan wouldn't tolerate her pulling a knife in Riptide, so she'd have to dissuade Jockstrap some other way.
She looked to the floor. For Sadie, she'd expose her marks. Only for Sadie. An eye full of ugly often gave her a split-second advantage. He was already wobbling. Shouldn't be too hard to knock him on his ass. She shifted the grip on her helmet and widened her stance, drawing a calming breath. Then, in one swift motion, she swung the curtain of hair away from her face. She's going home, Jane said, pressing upward into Jockstrap's personal space to ensure he got a good look at the thick, blood-red birthmark that slashed an angle from her forehead to her temple. It looked like the work of a medieval battle axe. He shrunk back with a familiar snarl of revulsion. Already primed, Jane was ready to launch when a firm hand landed on her shoulder, halting her. Everything all right here? Ethan asked, squeezing harder than he needed to. Jane felt a pinch of resentment at his interference. Jockstrap's gaze darted to the figure standing behind Jane. Ethan wasn't big, but his reputation was. You didn't cross him unless you had generous sick leave benefits. Jockstrap's nostrils flared. He pinched his lip. Neither man moved. Long seconds later, Jockstrap faltered and blew out a deflating breath. His bravado and sure bet attitude faded along with his hopes of getting laid. He released Sadie with a little shove. Go on, then, he said. Take out the trash. He stalked away and called over his shoulder. And it's Tom, not fucking Tim. Yeah, Jane mumbled, not fucking Tom either. With a shake of her head, Jane settled her hair back into place. She wrapped a steadying arm around Sadie's shoulder and turned her around, thumping into Ethan, who stood in their path. You okay? He said, but his expression was a warning. She'd forced his hand, and he didn't like that. Yeah, watch my ride? I'll come by in the morning to pick her up. Jimmy'll keep an eye on her, Ethan said, before he swaggered back to the bar. Ethan's faith in the stubble-faced panhandler who hung around the bar was a mystery to Jane. She opened Sadie's purse and fished out her keys. Rick. New chap. Rick Atkins kept his back to the dance floor and gazed at Sadie's reflection in the mirror behind the bar. Not that Sadie would recognize him in glasses and a full beard, but vigilance had served him well to this point. He wouldn't tempt fate when he was so close to his endgame. He watched the woman who called herself Jane flash her markings like a blowfish in the face of a predator shark who groped at Sadie. Jane had no inkling of the damage she was capable of inflicting, but not for long. Rick downed his beer and slinked out the door. That's it. I turned my mic off so any noises wouldn't uh, interrupt and bother. <laughs> Great. Uh, I usually put that as a, I do an A, B, and a C episode. So C is the chapter read. So I'll put that uh, as a C. Nice. I Perfect. hope that gets some people interested and they want to oh, pick yeah. up the rest of it. That's good. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right. Well, JP, I appreciate you taking some time. I'll let you know when this goes live. It'll be probably close to like, the end of July. I believe is the schedule. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you being. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.